Hi, welcome to Kink Education, a podcast coming to you from London, UK. We'll be talking to a variety of pros and experts, but also to ordinary everyday kinksters like you and me. We'll discuss lots of different topics in the world of alternative sexual lifestyles, whether it's out on the scene or behind your bedroom doors. Oh, and as you might well expect, there is plenty of adult content and explicit language, so over 18s only, please. Content warnings for this episode are mention of sexual violence and discussion of consensual, physical and emotional sadism. Just so you know, this is a brand new podcast and I'm a first time podcast maker with just a bunch of ideas and a 20 quid microphone. So if you have any suggestions or feedback or might want to get involved, then message me on FetLife at kink underscore education. Today we're going to be talking about aftercare, which is very important in most scenes. Uh, Some people don't want it, but most people really do and they need it and they get pretty bad drop afterwards if they don't get it. So I'm here with Will Hunt. You want to introduce yourself? Uh, Hi there, podcast world. Uh, My name's Will Hunt. And yeah, today we're going to be chatting about aftercare. So to uh, just give you a little bit of uh, background on me, I've been involved in the UK kink scene for about 15 years or so. Um, I'm a kink educator, so that means I do a lot of workshops with various aspects of kink. And I also write uh, fortnightly articles for Kink Weekly on a whole range of different subjects. And aftercare and subdrop and top drop is a really important subject. So I'm really glad to be here on the first episode chatting about something that's so fundamental to how you play and how you take care of our partners. So what exactly are the components that people are referring to when they use the word aftercare generally? Aftercare normally refers to a kind of group of actions or specific actions which you do after a scene. And a scene is what we kind of refer to as when you're kind of playing with someone. A scene can be something like a flogging or a scene can be like a a hour-long psychological torment or something along those lines. But the idea of aftercare is that once the scene is over, it's how you kind of help a person get back to themselves, how you get them grounded again, how you get them feeling safe and comfortable and secure. And just doing what actions you can in the immediacy to just kind of make them feel safe again. Yeah, because it's very, it really takes you out of your normal mind when you have an intense experience like a kink scene. For some people that's more from physical pain and endurance and challenging their body to take pain and that kind of thing. But it's also about emotional vulnerability and emotional scenes, uh, what's said to them, how they're treated, how they're spoken to. People are often into humiliation, degradation, being treated in a way that they wouldn't normally want to be treated in day-to-day life. Oh yeah, absolutely. A lot of people find there's the kind of the freedom and the ability to relax when they're not in control anymore. You get the kind of stereotype of like, all the really rich, powerful businessmen are the ones who want to have their bollocks stepped on and be treated like shit. And it's kind of because you need that release of the other side. If you're in control all the time, you kind of want to feel out of control sometimes, have someone take that Yeah, I feel like that's a bit of a cliche though, because you get very powerful people who want to be powerful in and out of the bedroom. Oh yeah, Um, yeah, absolutely. yeah, lots of combinations, but that's that's often how it's explained to the vanilla world. Like, yeah, very oh, I much. I really want women to dominate me because I have to boss them about all day in my patriarchal job. Yeah, um, it, it is a stereotype, but I think the the idea there is to emphasise to people that sometimes in kink you go to the 
extreme opposite of what you have to do in your day-to-day life. Yeah. And so sometimes coming back to where you need to be to actually function as a human being on Monday morning can be a bit of a journey back as yeah, well. Yeah, and I find also it's about sort of turning your own ideology upside down for perverted reasons like <laughs> being a massive feminist and wanting to be misogynistically abused of an evening and then oh, yeah. go back to normal. It's sometimes really important to just feel reassured that like even if you want something terrible... Yeah. But it doesn't actually corrupt you as a person. Like you can be a good person and want terrible things to happen. No, to you. you just have a just have a little box in your mind where all that horrible, disgusting stuff lives, and uh, indulge in it in moderation, and then go back to your normal life and pretend to be terribly virtuous. Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, so I thought we could talk about the physical effects of things like impact play. Um, not just impact play, needle play, clamps, all the kind of pain-causing things and how that has an effect on your body. Um, yeah, absolutely. Whenever you're kind of going through an extreme experience, your body kind of combats that. It produces a range of different chemicals to help you get through the experience. It can be almost euphoric. But then after that, your body kind of needs to recover from that high, and so it crashes down again. People do describe it as similar to a high from drugs, except it's not pills that have put these chemicals in their brain, it's experiences. So they're just natural hormones, neurotransmitters. I'm not a neuroscientist, so I'm not going to try and name any of them, but (laughs) they happen and they make you feel all high and floaty and spacey. Um, And you can't just be left like that because you need to come back down to earth and be safe and not wander outside not knowing which way is up (laughs) yeah absolutely one of the most common forms of aftercare that i've seen and kind of a lot of people appreciate is normally just after a scene one knowing that the scene is over yeah so making it like really clear that you've got an end point because if you've been doing like a scene that's been going on for a long period of time they might know not know it's actually over and so sometimes letting people know it actually is over is really important they know they don't need to be on edge anymore they don't need to be tense they don't need to be waiting for something else to happen yeah, start and end points are pretty good ideas for some scenes if you're going to sort of take on a role mm. of a bastard or <laughs> just, you know, interrogator or torturer or whoever you're going to be. Yeah. It's probably not your loving partner who's going to eat ice cream with you afterwards. Exactly. It's like if you're in a relationship with someone you play with, you need to be able to kind of let them know when you're going to take care of them. Yeah, but even if people are not in a relationship and are just mm-hmm. playing casually, yep. that, uh, in a way, arguably, could need even more aftercare because you're not that familiar with who's just done stuff to you. Oh, absolutely. I think it's really important that when you're negotiating a scene that you're talking about what you want to do, how you're going to do it, what their limits are, what their boundaries are. But I think it's really valuable at that point also to discuss what kind of aftercare they need, what kind of aftercare they want. Um, you know, for example, it'd be a really big mistake if part of your aftercare normally was a blanket and some chocolate, and you're trying to give a vegan, non-vegan chocolate, for example. And so, that's just, probably stress they don't need. Exactly. So it's really valuable, I find, in the negotiating phase of a scene to also negotiate and understand their aftercare requirements. It's also a yeah, it's also a good sign of uh, a responsible top if they're asking you what you're going to need after, and not just making it up as they go along. <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think the most irresponsible thing you can do is kind of, well, one of the most irresponsible things you can do is play with someone and then just go, well, that was nice, cheers, bye, and wander off. Yeah. 
I mean, you've, yeah, I, I think of it kind of like kink is sometimes a bit of a journey. If you're taking them somewhere, then that also means you're responsible for bringing them back. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned people wanting blankets and chocolate. Yeah, yeah. After all that kind of intense physicality, you kind of you might be sweating, you might be shaking, and then when it stops, you don't have all that adrenaline running through, you don't have all that impact, all that kind of uh, sensation. I, you can get really cold. It's really common, I find, for people to feel very cold afterwards. Yeah, well, sometimes the pain can catch up with you if you've mm. been, uh, maybe you've been under hypnosis and you've been slightly anaesthetised by it. And then you get brought out and suddenly everything hurts that you didn't notice before because you weren't concentrating. Uh, I find especially if I, if someone's got some pleasurable stuff going on, like they've got a vibrator on me, I don't feel the pain as much. But if you take that distraction away, suddenly, ow. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've got to be ready for the that phase. And I think often a blanket is a really welcome sight. And it's good to have it. It warms people up and they can feel safe they can wrap themselves in it but right now this is one of those really important times to know like do they want a blanket and if they do do they want to be cuddled in it do they want to be left alone yeah some people need space mm. um uh other people probably more people need cuddles and affection and um reassurance basically mm. uh it's not just about the physical i can only speak for myself but lots of other people are similar in that you want to sort of be rewarded for having done a good job, basically, and pleased the top, or given them what they want, or had the desired reactions, just basically been a good scene partner for them. Absolutely, I think that's one of the really valuable things when you're kind of making it clear the scene has ended. Because I often like to tell them they've done a good job, they've been good, they've pleased me, they've done well. Oh, I love hearing that. <laughs> so that all, all that kind of positive affirmation of what they've been through. And that's a really nice time when you're cuddling them, you're holding them close, you're letting them know they've done well. And part of that is helping them come back from it. Because it's something they have done, they've done well with it, but it, it's over now. And now you're moving into this phase of taking care of them, of them being safe, of you taking on the carer role. Yeah, I think the the carer thing can be quite literal sometimes. Like if they uh, have some marks or blood's been drawn. Mm. Some people aren't into things that are very intense, but hey, sometimes blood happens. Um, so cleaning up and helping mm. with, the, well, any like actual medical things like maybe you need a plaster um <laughs> or maybe you just need a disinfecting wipe uh yeah if you're playing in public by the way please do clean up whatever you were playing on um because that's considerate <laughs> yeah absolutely and i i think that the responsibility with things that do have a lasting impact like bruises or kind of breaking of skin yeah arnica cream is good for bruises if anyone needs to know that yeah, uh, your responsibility extends beyond just cuddles in a blanket. It extends to as much as is needed to help that person kind of recover. Yeah, especially as a lot of the stuff that we consensually do as adults in our own private business is technically not allowed by law. So the least we can do is uh, be extremely safe and responsible about putting it right afterwards. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I think it's always important if you're going to play with someone that you exhibit the care that you know is clear when you follow up. I yeah. Always... Also, it's really sexy. 
Yes, yeah, consent and care is every, always sexy. Every action adventure rom com has some sort of sexy bandaging scene, I, I find. Where the hero gets wounded oh, by, right, okay, by yeah. someone and hides away in a hole with the romantic interest, and the romantic interest like cleans them up and puts a bandage on them. I've, I've spied this. A lot of it's Mills and Boone style Victoriana erotica. No, I mean, it even happens in Pirates of the Caribbean. That's got a sexy bandage scene. <laughs> it's like, oh no, you've been hurt. Let me care for you with my womanly wiles. Here is me cleaning you up and caring for you. Oh, there, I, I... Therefore, we will end up married and fucking... Right, good, good to know. I think I've missed that. Um... I, I'm not, I can't be the only person who's observed this in both. <laughs> um, yeah, where were we? <laughs> yeah, aftercare and pirates. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's kind of... But that's just like the physical... Um, we yeah. talked a little bit on the mental with the telling them they've done well. Yeah. And sometimes this physical journey is way more than the mental journey. <clears throat> and it can take a while for people to feel kind of back to themselves. Yeah, so for for me, I I don't think I really need much physical aftercare, just maybe some a cushion to sit on if my arts hurts. But <laughs> um, I do need emotional aftercare uh, because... You've been really vulnerable with someone. Uh, I mean, often you've let them immobilize you, you've let them tie you up or cuff you or whatever. Um, and that takes a lot of trust just on its own. Um, and you've probably let them do other things too. So you've put a lot of trust in someone, you've made yourself quite vulnerable. And generally, you want to know that that meant something to them. And you want to, you kind of want reassurance that it did. Well, yeah, everything you've been through, you want it to have a value. You've put a lot of effort in, you've taken a lot, you want it to have a meaning. And I think it's behoven on the top to kind of make it clear that it has and that you've pleased them, that you've been good, but also to help you then get back to a state where you can be a fully functioning human again. Yeah, although I do know some masochists who... When they get hit by tops, they it's it's not really to please. It's because they just fucking love it. So I don't know if they need the same kind of well done. You're very good. You took lots of pain for me. And actually, they're just like, no, just hit me harder, bitch. Oh, that's absolutely true, and that's why you need to know. Yeah, that's why you get to, to know what page someone's on before you start. Yeah, planning on what you're going to say to them unless oh, yeah. you know it's what they want to hear. Yeah, I mean, the kind of aftercare you'd want to give someone who is in, like, a, a DS dynamic versus the kind of aftercare you want to give someone who's just a pure masochist Yeah, is very, very different. And if you're just being purely sadistic with someone who's purely masochistic, normally it's a very physical thing. Are they okay physically? Yeah. And mentally they're fine. They enjoy it. They're enjoying what they're doing. They probably were purely um, functioning on a physical level, the sensation. Whereas someone who's more into like a submissive mindset, that's a different thing you've got to take care of because maybe they've sunk down to like the submissive state. They had this internal dialogue going on that kind of yeah. rationalised what they were doing and was kind of playing into a role. And that's that's why the most common term for sort of that come down is subdrop. Because you've been submissive, you've given up all your mm -hmm. control and power to a partner for a period of time, and then it just kind of gets dumped back on you and you're not sure what to do with it. So you kind of need someone to, to guide you back into taking responsibility for yourself again because you have just handed it over. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you think about you're giving up 
so much freedom but also so much responsibility you're not choosing a thing you're not in a position of agency you're sacrificing all of this and then you can't just have it then all just thrown back on you you can't have it go back to all right and now you make the choices you decide what's going on you take care of yourself that's a huge leap to make and you've had to put a lot of trust in someone to give that all up then i think it's the responsibility of the person you've trusted to then give it back slowly in stages where you can take it back on board. Yeah, because if you get into this vulnerable state where you're you're looking to someone for what to do next, how to behave, how to feel, just basically what to be just for that moment, you know, just be a toy to them or a, a plaything or whatever it is, whatever your kink is, um, you, you give up your normal mindset and just focus on that. So if you've been waiting for someone to tell you what to do and you're just completely focused on them and then they stop telling you what to do and are just like, fend for yourself, that's, that's a bit of a shock. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really rough. You don't want to be doing that. Um, as a top, it can be a little tricky sometimes when you're working with someone who drops in that way. Mm -hmm. If you're not in a relationship with them or you're not close enough to see them regularly, this is often something that can happen you know, the next day or the day after. Even. Yeah, that's a big thing about subdrop is it can be massively delayed. Like, especially if someone's having a big weekend, you know, gone to some raucous party, uh, done loads of kinky stuff with you, and then and spent some time with you, and then suddenly it's Monday and it's Tuesday and you're back at work and you're feeling alone and maybe they haven't been in touch in which case you're going to feel massively abandoned and feelings like that that seem really dramatic and overreactionary, but it's because of the intensity that came before. That's why I think the really responsible thing to do is always contact them the day after. I always contact people I play with the day after we've seen each other, just follow up and see how they're doing. And often, if, if they are dropping, there might be practically nothing you can do. You're not near them, you're not with them, you're not their primary partner. But just by reaching out, you're yeah. at least letting them know you're there. Definitely. And sometimes just letting them know, like, I know this, you know, are you okay? No, I'm not. Okay, right, I, you're probably going through a drop, you're going to be okay. Just offering that reassurance of knowing it's going to be yeah, okay and I've, that you are there. I've had a sort of long distance um, thing over a period of days that ended with like some phone stuff uh, and afterwards I it was really intense even though this person was like 100 miles away uh, it was still really intense but what he could do is just say are you okay okay here's what you should do go and run yourself a bath go and drink tea you know do this and that that's gonna help you and I'll be thinking of you and just yeah I mean continued instructions can be sort of can make sense if you're in a submissive order obeying kind of it can help soften mood. the drop as well yeah it can stagger it a little bit um one thing i do is i have what's called a drop box <laughs> amazing and my partner lives one of my partners lives quite far away what i do is i always have a drop box for her at her house and this is just a simple black box and she can open it whenever she's feeling down or droppy that's really cute and it'll have different things in it and every time she uses it she lets me know and then i fill it up next time i'm there 
that's really cool. And so that way, there's always a thing. Is it there stuff for like them? chocolate or you just think like bath things. bombs, face masks, um, a little cuddly toy. That's really Whatever good. will just be a little thing, because it also reinforced to her that I am caring about her and I am thinking about her. That is very her. thoughtful. I'm impressed. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I've thought about making a self-care box mm. based on, you know, therapy. Um, mm. <laughs> and no. I, I, yeah, yeah, I would have thought of, of uh, yeah, putting some self-care stuff in that for when I'm feeling anxious or down and I need to help myself somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's very thoughtful of you to make one for a partner. Well, again, I think <laughs> it's, it's the top's responsibility to do those kind of things, to... Especially if you're going to, oh God, what's a, what's a horrifying catchphrase for you? If you're going to play hard, care hard. There you go. I've never heard that, but I, I just made it I'm up. embracing I'm the tackiness. I, absolutely, I'm copywriting it now. Will Hunt, play hard, care hard. There you I go. like that. I like that. With um, really tight cuddles that kind of slightly, make you not breathe. Slightly choky. Choky cuddles. Choky or fixy wank cuddles. <laughs> yeah. That sounds. That sounds <laughs> terrifying but arousing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I yeah. know that in your in an article that article you wrote about aftercare the other week, mm, yeah. uh, you also talked about top drop. Yeah. So top this drop. yeah this come down effect does not just happen to subs. No, and it's a kind of often one of these things that's not really talked about because a lot of people don't recognise it for what it is. But at the top, you also get this kind of high, this rush, this kind of power keg. And then you go back to normal life again. And it's that changing of states that can be just as difficult for the top as for the bottom. Yeah, one thing I've noticed about people who are in the scene, especially if they sort of are willing to be approached for play by people they don't know that well because they're sort of well-known as someone who's good with rope or whips or whatever and that they're approachable and welcoming and oh if you know if you want a nice safe experience go to this person um and then those people get thought of as just sort of fetish vending machines <laughs> and they're like oh yeah so and so that rope top just yeah go to him he'll, he'll play with you you're a young hot girl uh yeah just go, go and get yours and then you know move on that's that's he's just like a you know community's resource <laughs> but that's not yeah that's really not very fair to those tops because it does mean something to them even if they do do it a lot and are good at it most people who do kind of this kind of service topping type thing yeah um they do want the bottom to have a really good experience yeah but that can often mean they'll put a lot of energy into it but they are having to put energy into it. They are working. It is hard work to give someone a good experience sometimes, especially when you know, it's the first time you're doing it. There's a lot to learn. And then you as a top kind of wander off. And you can have that insecurity, like, did they actually have a good time? Yeah. Was I good at what I did, et cetera, et cetera. And so you can have this insecurity and, in, like, did I do Yeah, well? and if someone's new, you need, like, feedback. Yeah, and you might not get that. I think one of the things I often found was that um, I got a reputation as someone who was quite, you know, a hard player who would play with quite edgy elements. And so because of that, people came to me and they would ask these scenes and I would, you know, service stop every now and then. But one thing I found often was I then needed the reassurance that I was I was actually still a good person. Because <laughs> I'd done terrible stuff to them. I needed to know that I was still a good person. And, and they hadn't just thought, oh my God, this guy's horrible. <laughs> he just came in here, tied me up, beat me with things, yeah. called me all these names and left. What an absolute 
exactly. terror. So you kind of you need <laughs> that affirmation from them that they did enjoy it. It is yes. what they wanted. That was you great. I know it. you're a good person, really. Thanks very much. Exactly, exactly. And so as a <laughs> five top, stars. <laughs> as a top, it sometimes really helps to get that feedback. Yeah. And to get that affirmation that you know they did enjoy it. And I think a lot of us shy away from it because we don't want to sound needy. We want to be the the uber top who is great at this thing and is never insecure. Uh, and... Needy is just one of those words that people sort of have made into synonymous with crazy and unreasonable. But like, yeah, I mean, is it wrong to have needs? No, something it's I. Not. I think you've got to recognise something needs. I battle with. <laughs> I think as a top, if you isolate yourself by trying to project this persona of all-encompassing confidence. Yeah, no one's going to fall for that. And if they yeah. do, they'll just think you're an arrogant knobhead. Oh, absolutely. I think you've got to recognise that you also have needs. You need people to kind of affirm to you that you've done well. Also, it gives you feedback, and that's really valuable for improving. Yeah. Is you don't just And if look... you're going to play with that same person again, it's mm. uh, things to improve on that are specific to them. I think it's really impor important to refine what you do. And yeah. at the top, the best way you can do that is by learning what did go well and what didn't go well, so you can do it better next time. Uh, you don't learn to tie well by tying perfectly the first time you tie. Yeah, that's Learn to happen. tie well, exactly. You <laughs> learn to tie well by practicing, by knowing what you did wrong, by getting better. Yeah. You don't do it by isolating yourself <laughs> from feedback. So we've, we've talked quite a bit about new partners or casual partners or partners you may not know that well and sort of extra caution you need to take. But what about partners that you are in a relationship with or have been seeing for a long time, know pretty well, have gone deeper with and who you can push boundaries with and really explore with. Um, how is that different? And you know, what, what are the more extreme things you can do and mm. how do sometimes they go wrong? Because you think you know them really well <laughs> and then you touch a nerve you didn't mean to touch. Absolutely. Um... My primary relationship is very DS heavy. So it is very kind of, um, it's very intense. There's very little space in the relationship that's actually outside of our dynamic. We both do very kind of 24-7 style DS. Hot. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but what's important is that I build into it almost these break phases. Yeah. So while she has to, you know, have permission for various things in her life and has to ask permission, has certain... Re no, for example, every night that we're together, she sleeps chained to the bed. She can't get up without me unchaining her. That's so hard. And <laughs> things like that. But what that means is I also need, because he is still kind of a feisty whole person, Yeah. I have to make sure that we have spaces within our relationship where she can still be that as well. Yeah, also keeping that up as a top must sound quite tiring to I mean, me. You just need to need you... to appreciate where it fits naturally into your relationship. Yeah. And where you kind of, where it can fit in where you don't have to just be consciously working at it. By... Yeah, because a lot of top types, dom types, they just think, oh, I don't want to do this really intense thing because it sounds like a lot of, of mental concentration for me and I don't know if I can keep it up to a good standard and I think it might just stress me out. Um... Yeah, absolutely. If you're trying to force it, it's not going to work because it's always taking effort. Yeah. So the things that are very consistent in our relationship are those things that we both naturally kind of gravitate towards and for us it's both very very heavy ds dynamics yeah but like i said you work on those break clauses where there are effectively times where she can just kind of misbehave and be cheeky and be silly yeah. stand down uh, yeah <laughs> and so she can actually relax and 
you know, she... This is reminding me of the fact that, um, so, like, assistance dogs, yeah. they've got, you know, they have, like, the sort of high-vis jacket mm. saying, you know, working dog, do not disturb. Yeah. And, you know, when they're at work, you can't pet them, even if they're really cute. They're busy, they're in the zone. Yeah. Um, but then I, I have seen some off-duty where the harness comes off and they are just goofy dogs just like rolling around in a field and being mental Absolutely. and that's adorable but yeah, yeah i mean you can't expect a working dog to have the professional harness on all the time no you've got to have those spaces <laughs> they need a bit of respite yeah and nothing i'm always really clear with her as well it's the way that we relate to each other doesn't mean that's how she's got to relate to relate to everyone who identifies as a top yes it's that's like, very true every individual relationship is different yeah she's not a doormat to anyone else she doesn't have to be she isn't expected to be and so our relationship is about us it isn't about changing how she relates to everyone else in her life and you know it does extend to everyday activities but it doesn't extend to every everyday activity no. and it can scale up or scale down depending on what's going on i mean when yeah. we're at a kink event together and everyone's kinky then it'll be way up <laughs> high absolutely but when we're just out during the day, it'll be way down low. And that's yeah. because it's got to be practical. And it's more about us enjoying that relationship dynamic than it is about trying to make something happen because we think it should. Yeah, There's no absolutely. one keeping score here. Um, what I do want to talk to you about, though, is I know that you are quite good at quite heavy emotional sadism <laughs> and that you've taught interrogation workshops and you are just generally good with the words. That's just because I'm um, a dick. <laughs> just I'm just lucky that people think I know, it's kinky. I know that a fat life profile of yours that that I don't know if it's on your current one, but just like you just described yourself as a bastard with a stick. That was yeah, that was my old profile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. I think it. I think it describes it quite well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, but just I just wanted to hear more about mm. sort of emotional sadism and sort of degradation that yeah. you've done and and. That is considered edge play, because if it goes mm. wrong, it can go very wrong. Absolutely. Um, I've put a great deal of work into it. Um, yeah. For example, I keep um, I keep quite detailed dossiers on my partners I do this kind of play nice. with. So I actually literally have a physical document. I make the point of actually writing stuff down. I, Things I not to mention. Yeah, so I know what their limits are, know what the hard limits are. Yeah. Know, and all the little details as well. I mean, I you know one of my partners, I had her school records. So Amazing. I wanted to read what her teachers had written about her. Did you tell her off for getting a bad report in year six? In, <laughs> no, no, no. I found it far more valuable because it allowed me to identify patterns of kind of the need to please and where it's first yeah, manifested and methodology point. manifestation. And so for me, it's really important to have a really detailed document of someone that you're doing this with. It might not be immediately understood why it's valuable, but it's very rarely there's information. It's all clues. Yeah, exactly. And I think... If you're Dr. House, you could work out everything about... Yeah, it's always lupus. Um, <laughs> it's never lupus. It's always lupus. <laughs> uh, but the point of that is having so much information so that yeah. if you are playing psychologically, you're playing with someone's emotions, you know where their safe and hard limits are. Mm -hmm. Because if you want, to, you know, if you actually want to upset somebody, you need to understand <laughs> how to upset them in a safe way. Yes. And uh, my partner and I, we've done scenes which have you know, really you know, had her sobbing her eyes out. Wow. And then have pushed us slightly in the wrong direction. And even though between the two of us, we have a very, very clear understanding of kind of limits and how you can safe word without having to necessarily safe word. 
but there are ways you can let me know if somebody's going too far mm. without it having to stop the scene. Yeah. And so there's still times where, you know, we veer towards things that are too heavy at that moment. So you're giving these signs and we just veer right back away from them. Yeah, and I mean, that's going to be completely different for everyone. I mean, there mm. might be some people who like to be insulted or degraded about their physical ex appearance and their yeah. body and all those kinds of things, whereas that, that might be the absolute worst thing you can do for other people if they've got a you know, history of body issues. And, oh, God, yeah, absolutely. You've got to be so and careful. And dysmorphia and all of that. That oh. can be traumatic to some. But then there's other people who might have that as a past trauma who deal with it by by making it a kink and taking control of it that way. Taking ownership of an experience yeah. and choosing to sexualise it is absolutely valid to that individual that's how they want to do it. Yeah, that's definitely why a lot of people with sort of sexual violence in their past can be kinky and into consensual sexual violence because it's a way of regaining control of what's happened to them and yeah just just dealing with it and people can be quite judgmental about that kind of thing but you know what it's not your brain it's not your life it's not your body how people if do, it helps then yeah yeah I'm not gonna pass my judgment on someone else's methodology of dealing with an experience I've never had yeah I mean yeah it's, I've got no right to do that um, so touching back on the kind of um, emotional sadism and the aftercare yeah. of that, one thing I find is really important for my partner is always to emphasise to her that I'm the bad guy. Because uh -huh. a lot of what I do will be the internalisation of guilt. It's like, right. why are you making me do this? Why ah. can't you just be good? Why uh -huh. can't you this, that, or the other? And so maybe, Is it like you're a failure? Yeah, that kind yeah. of play. So it's like, it's that kind of almost stereotypical kind of like, no, I don't want to hit you. Why do you have to keep fucking up? Oh. And that kind of thing. It's really important to me then, kind of when we're doing the aftercare, to emphasize to her, like, no, you haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> I am the bad person. Yeah. There was nothing right you could have done. I like hurting you. Yeah. And so I will make up. You'll be like, oh, that character. You do know he just tells lies. <laughs> Don't believe a word he says. Yeah, I, I've He's told her. He's just a psychopath. Yeah, I've told him that before. Literally, I've been holding her afterwards and I've just told, like, I was lying about everything. <laughs> None of that's true. I know it's not true. You I know. do wonder if the frisson comes from thinking, maybe part of them really thinks so. <laughs> well, that. Well, that's one of those really <laughs> kind of edgy things that you do play with with yeah. emotional sadism, is you'll play with actual insecurities. Yeah. And knowing what those are in your partner are really important because it also means that you know either to play with them or to avoid them. Yeah. And the more information you have, the better. Mm -hmm. But normally what I'll do is I try and put aside at least as much time for aftercare as I do for the scene. Mm. So if you're going to do a scene that's going to last all day, you put aside a day afterwards. That's a big commitment. Absolutely. <laughs> all then, day. Yeah, yeah. But if, <laughs> if I'm not willing to do that, <clears throat> I don't think I should be willing to put someone at that kind of risk. Yeah. So you always want... I, I think what you want to do is you want to plan for the worst case scenario. If I plan a scene out, and it goes wrong, I need to know that I've put enough time aside to make sure it's all going to be okay afterwards. Because otherwise, why am I willing to take that risk? Even if I'm 99% sure it'll go fine. Yeah. It's my responsibility to also cover that 1%. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, what would you describe as the worst case scenario? Someone just has a oh, has it, a breakdown of like, oh, that comment, that, that it, play exactly. really re reopened all these old wounds of 
childhood trauma and all sorts. And now I feel really shit about myself and I really need to be comforted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, absolutely. I think often your worst case scenario is stumbling to areas you didn't know were at risk. Yeah. Completely unexpected, unforeseen things. And there is only so much you can prepare for. You try and prepare for everything and be aware that you're not a mind reader. You can fuck up. Yeah. And what I find interesting in that case is, let's say something does go wrong, and then you move into that aftercare aspect, how you take care of them. Yeah. And then after that, you also need to work out how to take care of yourself. Yeah. Because as a top, it can be incredibly damaging to you to have tried as hard as you possibly could and to feel you have, but you will double guess. You will second guess everything you did. Yeah, and also if you completely unintentionally cause someone distress in a way that you did not intend, there's probably a lot of guilt, even though it wasn't really your fault. You were working with all the information that you had and you did all the research that you had, but still something came up that that neither of you predicted. Absolutely, and I think that, that guilt is incredibly healthy. It's one of the ways I reassure myself. Yeah, if you psycho. didn't have any guilt, yeah. I would be far more concerned. <laughs> so, so would I. I think the guilt's really healthy. Oh, I called okay. this. I called this person a fat cunt during sex, and funnily enough, she didn't like it, and she got really upset. Oh, I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I think guilt's incredibly healthy. Yeah, uh, it's one thing that motivates you to do better next time <laughs> yes. as well. But absolutely, you want to have enough time put aside for the kind of what if it all goes wrong scenario. Yeah. And it's one you hope you'll never need to use, but it's why you have you always have safety scissors when you do rope. Mm-hmm. It's not because you're planning to use them, it's because of the one time you have to. Yeah. And I just think, I feel quite strongly that when fuck-ups happen, it's all about how the person reacts afterwards. Um, yeah. I read some post on a Facebook forum the other day about ranting about people who've been horrible. Um, where some girl had a fling with her co-worker and they had hooked up a few times and they had it quite rough, which she liked. But on this occasion, the guy just slapped her in the face really hard in the middle of sex, which had not been, which hadn't been done before, had not been talked about, had not been negotiated, did not go well. And then she was like in the bathroom crying or something. And instead of him apologizing saying oh my god i didn't mean to i thought you'd like it just went oh well i didn't do anything wrong yeah that's yeah. not great exactly um, you if tell... you even if you don't think you've done anything wrong apologize anyway because it mm. seems to have caused harm whether you intended it to or not yeah you've got to take care of them first yeah. then worry about anything else after that i think you get a far better judge of a person's character by how they deal with something going wrong yes, how they deal with definitely. everything always going right if everything always goes right well then fine we can yeah manage if that. someone has got an ego where they just can never do any wrong ever that's not good oh yeah the, the worst thing you see again with rope is if you see a rigger who blames any injury or any mistake on the model then you're kind of like okay well maybe it was their fault but that's not where you start you start with no. taking care of them yeah. Then you move on to what you might have done wrong. Yes. And how you can make sure it never happens like, again. Like, was it me? Yeah. Did did they you tell don't... me something and I didn't listen? No, they just didn't tell me the thing. Yeah. Okay, or... well, if they didn't tell me the thing at all, then what could I have done? One but... of the unfortunate things in King is it's sometimes possible for every party involved to do nothing wrong and yeah. something still to go wrong. Yes. You can literally have gone through every yes, no, maybe list, gone through every scenario of what you want to do, and in the moment itself, something isn't right. 
Yeah, and admitting responsibility for something that's gone wrong is not the same as saying, yeah, I'm a terrible person and I didn't care and I just like oh, yeah. just thought I'd do this and hurt I, you. I've been caning someone <laughs> and I hit them in the wrong place. Yeah. And I said, oh, God, I'm really sorry I hit you in the wrong place. Me saying I'm sorry that happened is not the same as me saying I meant to do that. Yeah. And, and so... if someone says I'm sorry that happened, I'll be like, Oh, so it's okay. You know, it's a risk we take when we ask people to hit us with things. They might, they might slip and hit the wrong place. Yeah. But if they go, no, I didn't do anything wrong. You're you wrong. You shouldn't have been moving. You shouldn't be upset. You shouldn't yeah. be hurt. That wasn't hard. Then you feel like complete shit. And yeah. then, that's kind of what makes that person, um, you know, not safe to play with. The the power balance shifts, and the more power you have, the more responsibility you have as well. Because if someone is naked, strapped down on the bench, blindfolded, and you're the one fully clothed, standing upright and hitting them, yeah. then of the two of you, one of <laughs> you is responsible for where they get hit. Pretty much. Yeah. And so the more that power transfers from one to the other, also the more the, the um, responsibility, responsibility transfers from one to the other. And if you're not willing to accept that, then you've really got to be very aware I think then of how much you're willing to take on in terms of that power rush as well yeah and I think also I think people have a lot of fear that if they sort of admit anything that they'll be demonized when actually admitting you've made a mistake is a sign of of someone very mature and responsible um so you get some who go oh no I can't possibly admit to having done anything wrong otherwise I'll be a rapist and I'll be excluded and everyone will think I'm terrible but actually it's the other way around if you're the person who's done something wrong and refuse to admit it then that's the person that everyone's going to say yeah avoid them yeah and I think Taking personal responsibility, having a plan for aftercare, having a plan for if something goes wrong, being aware of how you also, you personally react. I think all of those are really positive signs for someone who's responsible in their play. I think if you're going to play with someone and their questions are, what kind of play do you want to do? What are your limits, et cetera, et cetera. And then they also follow up with, and what kind of aftercare do you want? Yeah. Or what do you like? I think that's really reassuring because it means they think beyond just... Yeah getting their rocks off on the scene. Yeah. They're considering the fact this has implications beyond that as well. I think that's a really positive thing to do. Yeah, and that they care about you as a person and you're not just like a, a volunteer yeah. it's hittable a, thing. I I always trust the kind of tops and the riggers who play and tie people regularly. The same person yeah. regularly. Or the same Repeat people. Repeat business, always a good sign. Exactly. <laughs> if you see a, a guy who only or a guy or a girl who only ever play with new people mm. one time like why that, haven't they come back for more yeah that's not a good idea and I think when you're playing with someone the goal should always be I always when I play with someone I'd rather have them tell me we could have gone further than say we've yes. gone too far yeah and that's definitely the way around you want it yeah if I'm cuddling someone in a blanket afterwards and give them chocolate and they turn around and go you could have hit me harder great I'm fine with that <laughs> That is not a problem. Like, then, that's something to right, do next time. The next time I'll hit your heart. Yeah. But this time, you've got a blanket, you've got some chocolate, and nothing's gone wrong. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I guess what I, what I want to say most about aftercare is that even if something has gone wrong, you can fix a lot just by saying sorry if appropriate mm. and just reassuring them that 
X and Y was not their fault and that everything was fine and that you're not disappointed in them and that everything was was really good and you know even if you had like a moment or an incident that wasn't that great that overall you both both had a great time hopefully and that you know whatever went wrong you now know not to do again um just yeah just moving on from whatever might have gone wrong and focusing on the good things and just taking care of them taking care of each other well yeah taking yeah. care of each other i guess but i thought my thoughts always are the top responsibility is to them and then it's to yourself yeah because at the end of the day you're probably the one who hasn't been beaten is naked in a blanket on the floor. You probably don't have any scars at all. Exactly. Yeah, no yeah. bruises, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a pretty good conversation about the importance <laughs> of aftercare. Um, I suppose there are people who don't want any, who are a bit hardcore and a bit mas- emotionally masochistic, and they might think... I, I mean, I have to mention them, because I'm sure and I think I know of some who just want to be treated like crap and then abandoned to just confirm that they are, you know, nothing but a fuck toy, whatever. Yeah, but you better absolutely 100% know they the, want The that. lack of aftercare <laughs> is kind of part of the scene for them. Yep. But, but yeah, it, that is a minority, but yeah. I still feel like it's worth mentioning that it's mm-hmm. valid and, you know, you're not a freak if you don't want any aftercare, you're just a particular type of masochist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but... Yeah, in conclusion, most people need aftercare and you should definitely check with them beforehand. What kind they need, how long for, how to stay in touch and how to not be a dick. Good sign up there. Don't don't be a dick. Don't be a dick.